This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everyone, or should I say buongiorno, and welcome to this week's European show. I'm your host, Mo Stewart, and as you may have guessed by that poor attempt at language, we will be focusing on Serie A this week, and I've brought alongside me an absolute expert on all things Italian football, uh, football writer Connor Clancy, based currently out there in Italy. So first of all, Connor, how are you? What have you been up to over the weekend? Which games have you been able to see? Yeah, I'm all right, Mo. It's, it's always nice to be here to talk about Italian football with you. Um, I watched quite a lot of games this weekend because I wasn't at any. And usually when wow. I don't go to any, I watch a lot more. So, yeah, the the, the big focus was on Milan-Juve last night, unfortunately, because it turned out to be one of the worst games I've seen in, <laughs> in, in a long time. Um, and then between Saturday and Sunday was a combination of the, the women's Serie A and the, the men's Serie A to keep me ticking over for the weekend. Well, thankfully, we aren't going to focus too much on that Milan-Juve <laughs> snooze fest because it was a snooze fest. I think since we are a Liverpool podcast, there is one team in Italy that most Liverpool fans are a little bit more interested in than the rest. And it just so happens they sit at the top of Serie A. So let's talk about Inter Milan. They're looking quite good at the moment, I think it's fair to say. They are four points clear with a game in hand. They're on a run of eight wins from nine, including that dramatic Super Cup win over Juventus a couple of weeks ago. But kind of, they're not necessarily blowing teams away, but they do look like a settled side who know how to grind out wins. And they do, as it stands, look like the class of the league at the moment. Uh, they're, they are in a league of their own at the moment, which is a surprise. And it, it, I am one of these people who thought they might face a disaster this season after Antonio Conte left. But... I mean, I was even thinking they might drop out of the top four because everybody else seemed to be strengthening around them. But now they've they've proved absolutely everybody wrong, left us all with egg on our faces, and they look brilliant. Again, you're right in saying that they're not necessarily blowing teams away. I mean, they faced a Venezia side on Saturday who have been decimated by by COVID cases. Venezia, Atalanta and Salernitana are the three who have it badly at the moment. And it took them until the 90th minute to to win thanks to an Edin Dzeko goal. And nobody really saw that coming. And it's coming a week now where they played Atalanta or an, an Atalanta team and, and drew nil-nil. Then they, they scraped past Empoli in the Coppa Italia after extra time, I believe that was. And then it, Venezia took them to the last minute as well. So they are hitting a little bit of a, a funny patch of form. Mm-hmm. But... The scary thing is they've still beaten both Venezia and Empoli and drawn away at Atalanta in that difficult run of form. So <laughs> the league is theirs. There's no way anyone's going to catch them. That four-point gap will be seven when they've played as many games as everybody else. And yeah, it, it's probably going to be getting to the case where they can afford to put more focus on Liverpool rather than what they've had to do in previous years, which is to to focus on Serie A and, and try to get by in Europe. Which isn't really great news for us, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's give a little bit of props to Simone Inzaghi, though, because you mentioned Antonio Conte. He cast a very large shadow over that team. It was very much his personality as well as his tactics that drove Inter towards the title over that two-year span. 
And it doesn't really feel like Simone's tried to reinvent the wheel. They're still playing a very similar system. Obviously, uh, Edin Dzeko's come in, and we all know that he's not Romelu Lukaku, but he is a Serie A quality striker who seems to be scoring many goals. They've reinvented kind of Ivan Perisic into this kind of wing-back um, scenario. So, it, again, it doesn't look too dissimilar when you think about how they're playing, but... They haven't really missed three massive stars when you think about Ashraf Hakimi as well mm. as Aku and the manager Conti. No, they haven't. And that's the most remarkable thing is that Inzaghi has come in and he's managed to ride the wave of what Conte created and started with the, the likes of playing Perisic as a wingback. Because when Conte first did that, it was so bizarre because Perisic from what we had seen at Inter previously, was a winger who was notoriously quite lazy when it came to doing his defensive duties. But he's a completely different player now, thanks to Conte. And Inzaghi's managed to keep that momentum going. And it is the same system, but it's a different style of football because obviously they don't have Lukaku up top to do the... Well, look, everybody knows what Lukaku does. He does everything. He's he's not this target man, but he can be the target of more direct passes, but in a deep enough position and then just storm forward himself. Edin Dzeko can't do that. No. And even Lautaro Martinez isn't that type of player. He, he can be in, in patches, but not consistently throughout a season. But Inzaghi just has this inter-team playing like an upgraded version of his Lazio. So... They've got really nice footballers in there. Akan Chalonoglu has not had an incredible season, but he's been a good signing from Milan. Brozovic and Barella are just playing as they were. But the most notable thing is that Alessandro Bastoni has, mm. has stepped up again, as he has done in each of the last three seasons. He just improved and improved and improved. And now he looks like he's going to be the next great Italian defender and not just defensively either. He, he plays on the left of their back three and often appears in a left wing position delivering crosses that like David Beckham and Tony Cross would be proud of. And the other week he scored a goal from 25 yards where he just passed it into the bottom corner in the way that Luka Modric would be renowned for doing it. He's a phenomenal player and beside him he's got Milan Skriniar and Stefan de Frey. So he's, he's not exactly carrying that defence either. No, I think in terms of players for Liverpool to watch out for when it comes to those games, I would say of the ones who we may be a little bit less known, Bastoni is definitely the yeah. one. Because as you say, Skriniar and De Vrij have been linked with moves away to big teams over the last three or four seasons. But as you say, Bastoni might be the one who's probably going to have the highest ceiling of the three of them, in my opinion. I completely agree. I, I think the sky is the limit. For Bastoni, to be honest, I, I he came through at Atalanta, so I'm fortunate enough to have seen him a few times there with the youth team and and with the first team. And then his first season playing in Serie A was here in Parma. My first year here, where he played alongside Bruno Alves, and from the first few weeks of him playing, you could see there's there's a real talent here. Mm -hmm. And he had already been signed by Inter at that point, and he was loaned to Parma from Inter. Uh, but then as the season went on. He just got better and better and better. And and even if Bruno Alves wasn't there, you trusted that this kid, this teenager, was was going to be able to to keep out these Serie A strikers. Um, but when he, he went to Inter, there was no transition period. Mm. He was just great from the very beginning. And then 
with Conte, he went on to a completely different level. And I was quite disappointed over the summer that he wasn't playing too often during the European Championship because he's a better defender than Leonardo Bonucci is. But because Giorgio Chiellini was there, Bonucci's the perfect partner for him, as we've seen for so many years. And I think a lot of people maybe outside of Italy will see Bastoni and think, oh, yeah, he was at the Euros, but he didn't play all that often. So maybe he's not that great, but he he really is special. Mm-hmm. And if people are thinking that, just give him five years and they're <laughs> going to be proven so, so wrong. Well, um, I, I would say I'm looking forward to his battles with Mo Salah, but I mean... <laughs> looking forward to it's a strange way of looking at it, really. I think, mm. okay, final word on Inter, just to give us Liverpool fans a little bit more encouragement. You say the title is theirs. However, if you look at the fixtures running up before that first leg, they do have to play their two biggest rivals. They have Milan, the first game after the international break, and then they have Napoli with a cup quarterfinal against Roma sandwiched in between. So these are games they have to take seriously, aren't they? They're three tough games. So, you can look at it and say they might be a little bit mentally tired from those challenges, but then if they win them all, then they're probably going to be flying. You're right. Look, if Inter beat Napoli and Milan, or even if they beat Milan and draw with Napoli, it's done. There's no way back for anybody in Serie A, but I'm not entirely convinced about how they're going to treat the Coppa Italia this season, because like you say, they're playing Roma, which... Roma will be taking it a lot more seriously than them only because Inter have that Liverpool game. I th- I think it's going to have to come down to a decision for Inzaghi to choose one to prioritise and it's got to be the Champions League given their recent history and, and if that is the case and he rests a few players uh, I think it could be an interesting one but even even that said it, it, I don't think it's ultimately going to matter. I just think Liverpool have too much. Well, I like to hear that. And I think most Liverpool fans would like to hear that. And that is still my instinct, as good as Inter have been. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I feel like we should cross over the city now and talk about AC Milan, who, I mean, in some ways, they have been just about hanging on to Inter's coattails, but they are going to be hanging all of their hats on this derby after the international break. They are going to be absolutely trying to convince themselves that winning that game can start the momentum because the week after we said as the Inter play in Napoli, they're going to be at home to Sampdoria. So it's an opportunity for to gain momentum to, and points on them two weeks in a row. I mean, it's, it's, it's still a long shot, but that's what Pioli is going to be telling his players, isn't it? It is, it is. And and Milan are just clinging on, you know, because since since November they've won as many games as they've not, you know, they've not been in great form. They've they've had that disappointment against Spezia on Monday. They drew it then against Juve in a game that look, this season Milan should be beating Juventus. This isn't the Juventus of the last few years. But yeah, Pioli is gonna be telling his his team, look, Lazio Sampdoria Salernitana. Udinese, that's the run of fixtures they've got. That's maximum points. Maybe you could drop points against Lazio, but other than that. So this derby is going to be incredibly important. But it's it's that that makes me worried, Mo, because last night's game was incredibly important. And Milan were one of the reasons that, that the San Siro was stunk out 
So yes. I'm very concerned now for the derby. I had been looking forward to this one for a couple of weeks until last night happened. And now mm. I'm just I'm just like <laughs> resigned into thinking that it's just gonna be another another stinker. Well, I mean, in some ways it's probably good that there's only gonna be five thousand fans in there to see it <laughs> rather than an absolutely full San Siro. But I mean the fans did kind of play their part in the first game with the, the late drama mm. with the the penalties and stuff like that. But let's talk about one of the fellas in, in AC Milan squad who's not actually there at the moment, Frank Kessier. He's mm. currently still in AFCON playing for the Ivory Coast, but he has been heavily linked with Liverpool over the last few months or so. Over the course of the last few weeks, there's been lots more heat around Spurs, but there was a report yesterday saying that Kessier himself had rejected Spurs. What are your instincts on what his thinking is? And do you think it's something... Obviously, Milan will want to get some money for him, so there might be a deal to happen in January, but it feels to me like the player himself is quite happy to see the season out. I think that is the case. I think it's probably similar to Dusan Vlaovic in that he, he knows that he's not going to be at his current club for much longer. With Kessie, he's got a contract that's expiring in the summer, so there, there's no way Frank Kessie is going to be at AC Milan next next year. And the writing has kind of been on the wall from as early as last season when he was allowed to when he was allowed to enter into the final year of his contract when when nothing had been agreed, it, it seemed quite clear that his time at Milan was gonna come to an end. And I think the Premier League is the next obvious step. He's he's perfectly built for that kind of football, for for English football. And the Spurs links made so much sense to me because of Conte. But yeah. I'd feel bad if if Kessie went to Spurs and then Conte had one of his his transfer meltdowns and and stormed out of the club because y- you don't trust Spurs to to look after a player like Frank Kessie. But yeah. as long as Conte is there, I think Spurs is the perfect destination for him. But Liverpool would be an interesting one because you'll know better than I do that their style of play is is very quick. You know they they don't mess around on the ball that much and I think that would take quite a, a lot of acclimatization and adaption from Kessie because as good as he is he's he's excellent technically I'm not quite sure that's the system for him mm. but he's he's shown in his time in Italy first with with Atalanta and then with Milan that he is able to adapt he, he might just need a little bit of time to do that if he went there but I, I do think it's pretty clear He's not going to be at Milan next season, and I'd be confident that he's going to be rocking up on your shores over there. <laughs> well, I mean, he's someone who I'd quite like to see in a red shirt. I do think whoever comes into our midfield, the nature of how we play means there's going to be an acclimatization mm. period. But I do think he's got the skills to do it, so he's definitely one to watch. Now, moving down the table towards Napoli. Now, Napoli had a fantastic start to the season, ran out of the blocks, winning their first eight games, didn't lose till late November, and then it all kind of ran out of steam a little bit. They had those three home losses on the spin to Atalanta, Empoli, and Spezia. Spezia, again, doing their bit for Inter's title bid. I think Simone Inzaghi might have to send a few bottles down to former Inter man Thiago Motta managing Spezia because he's taken out both of their main rivals in pretty much the space of three weeks. But still, if we look at the overall scenario for where Napoli are, for where Napoli were last season, this is very much a marked improvement. And 
a return almost to the title challenging days under Maurizio Sarri. Yeah, I think this is probably the best Napoli have been since that incredible season with Sarri when they got 91 points. I don't think they've been close to that since, but I'm hesitant to overreact to this current situation. I think you're exactly right because I'm sure you'll remember back in September and October, we spoke about Napoli Mm -hmm. and they were being touted as title contenders. And I I told you, they're not. They're just there at the moment because the, the way the fixtures fell early in the season and... I'm not saying that to be like, look, I, I told you so, but it's just a case of this is the level that Napoli are realistically at this season. They're they're trying to get back into the top four. And if they manage to hold off and finish in the Champions League places, that's a success for them in this season under Luciano Spalletti, particularly when you consider that they've had to deal with, I know a lot of clubs have had to deal with this, but losing important players through AFCON, they had Victor Ozeman have quite a serious injury. He's yeah. now back, but playing with a face mask. So that's not ideal. You would imagine while playing with something like that, he's not going to be the, the player that he was previously. He'll no. get there, but maybe just not while he's wearing a, something on his face, which can be quite distracting. So Napoli have been unlucky also with, with COVID cases. Mm. They've had a lot to deal with and they're still there. And I think they can take a lot of heart from the fact that they are still there. You know, they are now second level on points with Milan, but they are in second place and they've got a six point cushion over Atalanta, which I wouldn't have expected them to still have at this point, to be honest. I I thought if you'd asked me a month ago, I'd have thought that by now Atalanta and Milan would have pulled away from them a little bit and, and they'd be battling it out with Juventus. So, Napoli can be very pleased with the position they find mm. themselves in if they don't think about the first eight rounds of the week. <laughs> well, I mean, I do remember the conversation we had because they had a really tough run of games. I think it was five of the top eight in a space of eight games. And they did okay over the course of those games in terms of results. But ironically, the two teams that they lost, those two losses to Empoli and Spezia probably were the ones mm. that hurt them the most. But Another one of their players who has been talked about in transfer dispatches, you mentioned Ossiman. Uh, Fabian Ruiz, for a long time, has been another one on Liverpool's long list. How has he looked this season? And do you think he's another one who's, who's, whose time in Serie A might be coming to an end? Fabian's one of those players that could leave in any window and I wouldn't be greatly surprised. You know, he's he's not one of these guys who's gone to Napoli and identified with the city, with the club, with the, with the madness that surrounds there, like, for example, Dries Mertens has. Mm-hmm. Fabian's just a player who works in that system and he's there while he's there, but he's not going to he's not gonna be spending a career there. He's He's been okay this season. I'm not going to say it's been his best, but he's been okay. He's had flashes and then he's disappeared for a couple of patches, but for the most part, Fabian's had a decent season and if we're talking about players who could go into that Liverpool team and, and, and succeed, Fabian's definitely won, both with Liverpool or City. He'd walk in there and improve them immediately. Again, he's he'd have to adapt for different reasons to Kessie to the Premier League, but I do think he would be very nicely suited to it. And He's a player that, on his day, there aren't too many midfielders that are more enjoyable to watch, more easy mm. on the eye. Than he is the fact that is he's got a left foot that's just 
so gorgeous as well helps you know there's there's always that extra attraction if someone's left footed rather than right and he's got that he's he's got this ability where he can just like put a put a ball into the top corner from 25 yards and it looks like he's barely lifted his leg to do it he's an incredibly nice player i mean he's spanish and he's come through in the last 10 years so uh, people can think of that like david silva type you know you get really excited about him. He'll allow your mouth to water just that little bit. But I, I like Fabian, and I do think he could do something in, in at Liverpool. Well, I mean, it sounds not too dissimilar to another Spaniard currently playing in our midfield, who's had some injury mm. problems and is getting to the end of his career. So maybe we could uh, potentially upgrade to a, to a younger model in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned Atlanta before and, and their troubles. They really. I mean, Atalanta, I always kind of feel like I'm taking the mickey out of them when I call them a bit of a soap opera club because it always seems to be a little bit crazy around the edges, but they've had a lot to deal with. I mean, COVID has hit everybody, as we've said, but they've particularly had a bad run at the moment off the back of a really bad injury crisis. So, I mean, they've done well to kind of maintain their heads above water where they are at the moment. Do you think that once they recover, they'll have enough to maintain a top four place? They should do. And I think this international break is coming at the perfect time for them with everything that's going on because there's the COVID cases, the close contacts, and then a couple of injuries in there as well. So they've not had any point this season where they've had their full 11 mm-hmm. available. And for most of that, they've been missing three or four of that 11. But the team that took on Lazio at the weekend was a joke. It was second string. I mean, they had their goalkeeper and their back three and Remo Freuler. Other than that, everybody else was not just second choice, but fourth or fifth choice mm-hmm. in their position. Alexi Moranchuk played, and the only reason he's still at the club is because they literally don't have any other players to play. So he had a deal agreed to go to Genoa, but he's being kept now just because they need a footballer, you know, not like Arsenal. They're not just letting these players go anyway, but they're, they're keeping hold of him for that reason. Roberto Piccoli, Giorgio Scalvini, these are kids who who played, made their first starts in Serie A away to Lazio. Scalvini did so out of position to mark Sergei Milinkovic-Savic and he, he had him in his pocket in his in immense credit. But Atalanta are, are just about clinging on with, with their B team. So I, I would imagine that once the players get back, they will start to to climb the table again. I don't even think if Atalanta get their full squad available, they're they're better than Napoli, and they're as good as Milan. So I don't think Atalanta will finish outside the top four. I don't even think they'll finish fourth. I think they'll be quite comfortable by the end of the season, depending on what happens in this international break. You know, if they get the players back that they need to get back because the list is enormous. Yeah. One of the issues for them, though, is is more than just COVID cases and, and injuries. It's It appears to be a, a vaccination thing. So there are different restrictions in place here for if you've been a close contact to a positive case and you're fully vaccinated, you basically don't have to quarantine. But if you haven't been fully vaccinated, vaccinated you have to quarantine. And Atalanta haven't been releasing any information about names. They haven't been releasing squad lists. They mm-hmm. haven't been saying who's going with the group to a different city. So 
it does appear like there's a couple of unvaccinated players in that list of absentees, which is the reason. So you would wonder if Gasparini is just going to like, I don't know, tie these players down and, and force the chap into their arms to get them back. I mean, so someone with as much power and influence over a club as him probably mm. could do it. I mean, if he wanted to. So we'll, we'll have to watch this space <laughs> on that. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Now, this is an Italian football show and we are obligated to spend some time talking about Juventus. So, I know, I know, (laughs) but we have to do it. Now, Max Allegri has gone back to Juventus and they are slowly beginning to turn the results ship around. But they still, almost very similar way to Manchester United over here, they still don't look like they're supposed to look. I mean... In terms of attack, the loss of Chiesa in recent weeks has been massive, I think it's fair to say, but it doesn't really look like they've got a solid plan that they can hang the hat on because at the moment, Alvaro Morata is still Alvaro Morata despite the fact that top clubs still try to buy him. <laughs> <laughs> and they haven't really got any other... Well, they've got Moise Kane, of course, but he's not really kind of lit the league up either. So. Who's scoring their goals, Connor? They're just not scoring goals, Mo. They're, they're rubbish. <laughs> like, really, they are. And they might finish top four and they might do something this season. But Juventus are, if you're flicking through your channels at any time over the course of a weekend and you see there's some Italian football on and you think, I quite fancy that. If it's Juventus, don't watch it because it's dire. The, the game against Roma a couple of weeks ago was, was chaos and brilliant. Yeah. But... I think we've seen that that's more because of Roma than anything else. Juventus just happened to be the team they were playing at that time, but they're not. They're not scoring goals for so long. Their their results were one nil, two nil, two nil, one nil, one one, two nil, two nil, one one, and then the Roma game happened. Then it was a bit mad. But Mattia De Ciglio has been popping up. You know, he popped up with a winner against Roma. If you gave me 25 guesses to guess a Juventus goal scorer, I wouldn't have guessed Matteo De Ciglio because, well, to be frank, I forgot he was there until he popped up in the last couple of weeks. And Paolo Dybala scored a couple, but he's never, with the exception of maybe one season, been a a consistent 20-goal-a-season player. He's Mm. he's a lot more, and, and he doesn't score goals. And he's their best attacking player and he's in contract talks with the club that he's not happy with how they're progressing. He scored recently and I mean, he just stood on the pitch and stared at Pavel Nedved, which everybody knows what that means. And it's quite clear that he's not pleased with how things are going. So that's the state Juventus are in at the moment. Their best player is on the pitch during a match, telling everybody that he's not pleased about his contract renewal talks. And, it's more than just the attack, though, because uh, look, Morata's Morata, as you say. Moise Ken is not a Juventus level forward. I, I think he's better than his those who hate him say, but he's nowhere near as good as those who like him say. And he's not a Juventus level forward. He shouldn't be third choice of that club. There's no way. I mean, Atalanta have two better strikers than, than Moise Ken, which is a ridiculous thing to say, but... The midfield, the midfield is is disgusting, and a, a lot of that is because of Allegri. They've they've got good players there, 
Manuel Locatelli is one of Italy's best. Arthur mm. Mello, when he plays, is decent. But Allegri seems adamant that they can't play together. They've, they've played together a couple of times in recent weeks because Allegri wasn't there. And his assistant, Landucci, took the team. And, and that's when these two players played together and looked good. But now Allegri's back. He brings one on for the other. So Locatelli on Sunday was probably with Cuadrado, one of Juve's best players. And he yep. got he got dragged after half an hour for Melo. And I just thought, bring Arthur on, but to, to help Locatelli, but not to take him off. I just, I can't work out what Allegri's thinking. And mm. is his, his pragmatism used to be something that, that made him and defined him and that and the won him all of these trophies. But now I think it's gone beyond pragmatism and it's just it's just negative football and, and negative thinking now and mm. if you've got Paolo Dybala, Alvaro Morata, uh, Locatelli, Arthur in that team I, I don't think you need to be playing in such a restrictive way and I think that is one of the things that's holding them back obviously losing Chiesa is so big mm. not just for for Juventus but it will be for Italy too but any team that loses a player of, of Chiesa's quality is going to struggle. And the fact that they lost them in the season where they're trying to find a way to play without Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't help things. But they're not being helped by by their coach, unfortunately. No. Well, the final word on this week's show ties in quite nicely because a striker who Juventus have been trying to buy quite a lot uh, is Dusan Vlaovic. Now, obviously, over here, we know about Arsenal's interest in him. They've been stepping it up. They look to have agreed a fee, even with Fiorentina, but haven't yet convinced the player that Arsenal's the place for him. What are your instincts and those of the people in Italy over whether or not they'll be able to convince him of that and whether that will happen in this last week of the window? The understanding in Italy is that Vlaovic doesn't want to leave mid-season. Um, Fiorentina will be quite happy to to sell him now, particularly to a Premier League club, because they will get money from Arsenal that they won't get from from other Premier League clubs or from other clubs around Europe. But the the understanding is that Vlaovic isn't going to leave in January because he doesn't want to disrupt his form. You know, over the last two years, he's been in sensational form. Yeah. Why would he leave mid-season? He's he's found a system that works for him. And he knows that if he continues his form until the end of the season, he's more likely to get a move to, for example, Barcelona, who have also been interested in him and remarkably turned down the chance to sign him two years ago for about six million euros, something ridiculous. But but now they're back and they're going to end up spending an obscene amount if they do sign him this summer. But Vlaovic yeah. is a player who's been linked with everybody at the moment. Mm. So I know Arsenal have enjoyed some good form this season not more recently but they've had decent runs under Arteta this season but if you're Dusan Vlaovic are you going to go to Arsenal when they've not been in the Champions League in recent years mm. and basically they are doing what Fiorentina are doing in Italy it, it's it's not quite a sideward step but it's not as big a step forward as Vlaovic is is capable of taking at the moment so Everybody in Italy realizes we're into the last few months of him at Fiorentina. Maybe he'll go to Juventus, but I think it's probably more likely that he goes somewhere else. And Barcelona need a striker. They want a striker and they're not going to get Erling Haaland. So 
I think Vlaovic would be a good option for them to consider. And it's definitely an option that Vlaovic and his camp are interested in. It just comes down to whether or not they can they can pay the price that Comiso wants to to see paid from. I feel like there's going to be a bit of a bidding war for Vlaovic over the summer. And I think you're right in terms of bringing in Haaland. It's, see, it feels like whoever doesn't get Haaland is going to be in that mix. And personally, I hope neither of them end up in Manchester. But that's not the point. <laughs> We've come to the end of our time, Connor. Thank you so much for joining me and running through the wondrous soap opera that is Serie A. I'm sure we'll see you again soon. Always a pleasure, mate. Thank you. No worries. Thanks to all of you for watching. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.